Hi, and thanks for joining me. My name's Katie Ringsdor, and you're listening to LockPod, powered by Lockbox. So today I'm joined by CEO of Innovate Finance, Charlotte Crosswell. Charlotte, thanks so much for taking part in LockPod. Um, I'd love to start by getting to know you a little bit, actually, because uh, we haven't actually met before, so it's lovely to speak to you today. So before we uh, talk about the work you do at Innovate Finance, perhaps you could uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Oh, great. Well, thanks for having me on today. Um, so my career has been, like most people in the city, quite eclectic. Um, I've been around the capital market space pretty well since I left university. Um, but I did come into the city the old-fashioned way as a, as a temper on a uh, on a trading desk, uh, which went on permanent. I was at Goldman. And then since then, I left uh, that after about three years um, and went into banking um, and that and then went on to exchange world, in fact. So I spent a long time in my career around the exchange, exchange world, so either in regulation or business development, attracting IPOs around the world, and that was London Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. And then a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to do something a bit different, maybe do a portfolio career, and that took me to Innovate Finance. It's on finance and tech, um, so I guess I was always going to end up in FinTech. Um, and I actually started talking to them about a non-exec directorship, um, and the CEO happened to step down during that process as interim CEO for six months. Uh, so that was nearly four years ago. <laughs> so it's been, wow, yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been great. Yeah, so it's just it's just amazing when you look at where fintech is and what it's what it's doing. Just an incredible time over the last few years post Brexit to to the leading industry body. Yeah, and, and obviously with your background as well, you've you've seen and been part of the the change in in the finance world. And um, certainly with Innovate Finance, uh, you know, if people don't perhaps know who Innovate Finance are, do you want to just kind of give a bit of background because I think you know the work you guys are doing it. It's becoming more and more, people are becoming more and more aware of your work now, I think. Do you want to maybe just explain a little bit about the purpose of Innovate Finance? Yes, absolutely. So, so Innovate Finance is the fintech industry body in the UK. Um, there's lots of associations around the UK who do lots of work in fintech. We try to pull that together, connect up um, and connect into various ecosystems. So predominantly, it's a membership association. Um, we have members from a smaller startup all the way up to a global bank who's interested in what's, um, what's happening in innovation. But also, we have consultancies, law firms, all of which work around around the wider piece of it. And very much, we position ourselves as being the voice of UK today. Um, so looking at where the pain points are, looking at some of the policy areas, the regulation, what's happening on investment. Um, you know, we have immigration and all the things that are needed to, be, to make a successful fintech ecosystem. I think most people would, would consider the UK to be one of the thought leaders, global thought leaders in, in fintech. And that's very much because we have an industry that's very well connected um, across the country. We have regulators and governments you know, frequently meeting together with industry, looking at some of the trends. Um, and also trying to solve some of the challenges that maybe the fintechs are having in growing and scaling um, their company. So we're there really to help the smallest one start, but also help them on a, their global journey. So we even have contacts around the world and fintech hubs um, that we try to help them with as they look to export their products as well. So it's not just around the UK. It's also that connectivity piece. Um, whether that's all the way from North America, you know, down to South America, down to Africa, to Asia, wherever you ever you want, you know, people are following what's happening in UK fintech, and it's incredible just to be in the middle of that hub and connecting people up. 
Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I've been working fintech uh, kind of on and off since 2015. Um, and so I've, you know, I've personally witnessed how much it's come along. And I think certainly when the term fintech was coined, it, it was a bit of a, I think people didn't quite understand it or or, or really uh, get to grips with how, you know, innovation and digital was going to impact the world of, of finance specifically. I mean, what, what would you say has been the biggest shift for you? What are the big changes you've seen since the introduction of fintech? Well, it's a great question because a lot of people don't know what fintech is, um, but they use fintech every single day. So it's one of those words that sits there and in our finance and tech bubble, everyone understands what it is. But it can also mean a lot of different things to different people. So is it the fact that you're using a banking app? Um, is it the fact that you shop online now and use e-commerce? Is it the fact you do send money around the world using um, um, money transfer services? Or is it the fact that you're trying to help people with financial inclusion? Um, and in shedding a light on that. So it can mean so many different pieces of it. And more and more over the last few years, we've talked about it being innovation in financial services. Because we don't want to just say it's fintech versus the banks versus asset managers. It's actually saying the whole piece completely embedded into every single part of the world we live in. Um, and hopefully that brings more choice and transparency and competitiveness into the financial services ecosystem and that's really what it's there for yeah totally it's, i think it's the disruption piece as well that's been massive for me and i think you yeah. know watching also coming from a, more of a traditional finance background as well and then going into the digital space it's watching how it's you know fintech's kind of disrupted the norm and the traditional ways of doing things do you think do you think it's been um, accepted quite well within society i mean it has and then we've had, you know and then we had covid which accelerated everything um, exponentially so do consumers and small businesses want a different way of transactional banking? Yes, they do. Um, now, if the banks were there to provide every single service that they needed in an efficient way with the best technology, would FinTech have been born? Maybe not. Um, but obviously, that's, that's a perfect world, and that hasn't happened. And you know, we need disruption, and we need competition, because it's really important for, for consumers and businesses. Um, so very much I look at it as us moving to a tech-led financial services future. Um, wherever that comes from. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we are with things, people as young as you know, kids who are getting their first debit card that their parents can control where they're spending. You know, I, I love the fact that I can track my daughter's spending um, all, over the, all over London. Um, but, uh, but also looking at the elderly who, during COVID, six million people downloaded online banking apps for the first time. And a lot of that was the elderly population who suddenly couldn't go to a bank and pay on the cheque anymore and get cash out. They had to completely change the way it did. Um, but importantly, when we look at you know, where we're in macro environment, what's happening around the UK and around the world, we're seeing businesses needing financing or refinancing. And maybe that's a government loan, but post, post these loans, what, what are they going to do to, to secure that? And um, we're looking at consumers who potentially are going to run into challenging financial um, problems because perhaps they lose their job. Um, or their sector hasn't hasn't bounced back as quickly as we would have liked, and how are they going to then refinance their own personal debt as well? So I think it's incredibly important that we constantly strive to have a more efficient system, but making sure that's an inclusive system as well, and looking at what fintech can do to aid economic recovery by showing that actually it, there's, there's a place to everybody within the financial services ecosystem, but there's still a lot of work to be done on that and I think we could all argue that it's not it's not as fair as it should be. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And yeah, that brings me on quite nicely to say congratulations on the Khalifa review, which I know, you know, you guys were, were pivotal in, in delivering that. Um, you know, perhaps you could just give us a bit of an overview of, of the work you've done with the Khalifa review and some of the key findings, perhaps. Yes, and you know, it's a 108-page report, so I won't go into the full detail um, of it, but I, I do urge people, if they haven't read it, to at least look at the exact summary um, and look at the high level. So the way that Ron Khalifa positioned this was we could have looked at everything that the FinTech ecosystem could do, where it could go, the future of it, etc. And you have to start somewhere. When you review the whole sector, it's really challenging. So we were co-secretariat for that with the City of London Corporation. So, you know, as you know, deeply involved with Ron Khalifa and worked very closely with him. Um, so the way he positioned it was saying, let's look across what FinTech needs. Um, so where, what does it need to fuel schools and skills and talent? What does it need to help on capital and investment? Um, what does national connectivity look like? And how do we actually really explore the, you know, the power of these ecosystems around the UK that perhaps doesn't have so much of a light shone on them as some of the major financial centres like London and Edinburgh? Um, what does regulation and policy need to look like? Because when we started with Sandbox, you know, the sector has obviously changed so dramatically. And then importantly, where it was on competitiveness and attractiveness for people around the world um, and what it looked like versus other centres. Because what we've seen in fintech, because obviously the UK has pushed on thought leadership, um, but other other countries have very much looked to the UK for inspiration and in many cases just copy and pasted exactly what the UK is doing. Um, so invitation has been the best form of flattery, but we then have to constantly strive to move forward as well. And that's really important that we don't stand still. I think post-Brexit, there's a lot of frustration around the UK and various different sectors that we were very much dealing in the here and now. And then COVID came along and we're dealing even more in the here and now. And so what a great time for a review to say, look, this is the power of the sector, but this is what it's going to need. And we shouldn't wait till we get post-Brexit, post-COVID to work that out. Let's go and make those moves now. So a lot of the recommendations were really trying to look at a strategy. Rather than most, most reviews are obviously around very specific recommendations. And the way that one did that is there was specific ones, but it, it told a story. So it's not a matter of choosing one or the other and then saying that's, that's our, you know, we, we fulfilled some of the recommendations. It's actually saying, well, if we're looking at skills and talent, not only how do we get the right talent into the country now if we don't have it in the UK and how do we make that immigration process easier for fast growth companies, but also what does our future of the sector look like? So how do we, encourage you know links between industry and academia to try to see what skills we need for the future and so that was the type of thing on skills on capital everyone knows that you can get seed capital relatively easily and i'm probably i i, I gloss over that because founders are probably not so completely easy especially in diverse founders really challenging but what do we need to help with scale up capital because we know when it comes to scale up capital the uk tends to look to overseas investors for that so what needs to be done to maybe secure more scale up capital from the UK. Um, on on national, looking at the ecosystems, as I said, and really leveraging the best of that. So it doesn't matter where you start a company, um, you should have equal access to investment, to policy, to government, despite you being outside of, of London. And that obviously over the last 12 months. Um, and one of the big ones of regulation and policy was looking at the sandbox and saying, well, if we've got companies scaling this fast, do we need to have something called a scale box um, to help companies that maybe are adding 30 to 40 people a month, changing their products, you know, layering them in? What 
you know, what does their regulation need to look like? And it needs to be proportionate. We don't want to stifle innovation, but we want to protect consumers and businesses. But also we want to show what great governance and compliance looks like as those companies grow. And perhaps they need you know, that, that transition through their scaling journey as well. So those are some of, the, some of the examples to try to look at what that sector needs, can do, um, and then some of the bold moves that we could consider, such as digital ID, such as more work around open finance, and making sure that when people get out of bed every morning and they're thinking about financial services, they're thinking of it from the mind of a tech entrepreneur, as well as a, a big UK high street bank. And I think that's really important. And you know, the, the engagement has been great across that whole ecosystem, all of which are fed into this review you know, with one leading it. And, and really positively as well, you know, working in fintech, having that as like the stake in the ground of, you know, lay of the land and the future opportunities. I think, you know, just some of the stats, the UK is around 10% of the global market of fintech companies, which is worth something like £11 billion a year to the UK economy. Mm. So, you know, we can't underestimate the value that fintech is, is bringing to the UK. And you, you mentioned things around highly skilled jobs there and boosting trade, extending our competitive edge. What do you think the reaction is going to be from the government as in, uh, you know, tangible next steps? What can be done kind of short term long term what's the reaction going to be now that you've you know you've laid this out ready for action yeah um so like like all reviews this is what people don't always see is that they they go into the pot they get they get the recommendations go in and then government takes their time to consider those and we don't have sight of exactly when that's going to be um but there's a lot of the recommendations that are actually things that industry can do as well and i think that's important that Everyone's buying into this strategy. Some people would have liked to see more in the report. Maybe it's like tweaking, but most people have really bought into the review um, and we're really getting on with it. So let's make sure that industry doesn't, we don't need to wait for government to come back on an industry recommendation. Let's go and see what can be done, what's the after possible from industry. And I think that's really important. And we know that the regulators obviously work you know, very closely with us all the time. So how do we look at these recommendations and then push them forward? Uh, what's the dream? I mean, you know, how do you see UK fintech evolving? What if if you could have your way? What is the that end goal for us? Um, for me, it's it's always looking at it from as what does what does consumers and businesses need and what do they want. Um, now we need to stay ahead of that because if you just waited for them to tell you, you'd have missed you know, missed the chance. But it's really trying to look at that and saying, well, how do we make this a more inclusive? Um, society, how do we have this, this sector that serves all types of people um, and does the, you know, has the most choice and transparency to everyone. Um, it doesn't matter where you are in the UK, you should be able to have access to the same financial services as in, in a major city. And we have this unique opportunity now with COVID to show that actually you don't need to go down the high street and go to the bank. Um, actually, you can transact online. There is going to be this transition, there's no doubt about it, and we have to make sure that we're not pushing so hard for people to transact digitally that people can't get help if they still aren't ready to, to, to move to that. But for me, it's looking at our next next decade, because I think FinTech was sort of born out of um, out of the last financial crisis in 2008. Many people would say they were FinTech 200 years ago, but I'll, you know, I'll challenge them on that. Um, so if we say, right, we're, we're 13 years to where we are now, crisis to crisis, what does our next, what does our next path look like? And how do we shine that light on what tech can do? And I think that's the most important thing. So people shouldn't have to make a choice between a fintech and a bank. We should say, actually, the consumer wants X. And what's the best to get that help?
And that might be financial education, it might be their loans, it might be certain payments around the world. How do we constantly push ourselves to understand what those trends are going to be and making sure we're laying the groundwork? Um, so I think you take AI and machine learning, she's still relatively early in its journey. Um, and we have to really make sure that we don't have bias into that system, that data is protected. But how can we see what the trends are and then say, start laying that groundwork now for what our financial services sector looks like in the future? In 20 years time, are we going to have a digital ID? Yes, we will have it. We may not have it. An ID card, that's it. Yeah, that's the politicians to look at. But hopefully we will have a financial passport that strives efficiently where you can show what, what, what I think is really important that we strive to look at those big ideas, understand where we're moving towards, and then you know put the put the right framework in place now um, so we can continue to lead the way. Yeah, and digital identities is, is is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about as well next, really, because we talked about financial inclusion a little bit earlier. Um, but digital inclusion is equally as important. And, you know, with you making that point around digital identities, do you think there is a bit of a fear around, you know, that next level? Uh, what more can be done with regards to educating people and helping them to actually understand how it works? Because, you know, there's, there's as soon as you start mentioning data and online, the, it puts the fear of God into people at times. So what more can be done yeah and we, you know we're going through that journey whether you're obviously seeing a lot of spam messages at the moment being sent out or people being asked to send in their you know their details and we haven't got the education they needed either um so a lot of it does come down to education all guys it's not just financial education for kids but also understanding how to transact online how to you know, be careful of cybercrime etc um so you know that's that's really important that we look across across the whole framework of it and show people what's possible. Um, you know, used to a few years ago, we had this you know, standard of payday lenders, for example. Um, and now we've moved more to salary advancement, where people can understand how they can get access to, to their earnings they've earned, um, and maybe get an advance of that, so they don't go down to some really crippling debt that people can look at. But you know, how can we how can we accelerate that? How do we show people that you know, financial education gives them power? And that's, that's important, and that's going to be something that has to be done up and down the country. But as banks are starting to innovate themselves and more transparency starts to be shone on the financial services sector, people are getting a lot better at that anyway. Um, and we're starting to see, obviously, some real shining lights in the fintech sector, which now are becoming household names um, that we didn't even, didn't even exist 10 years ago. Um, so that's really exciting, so people can understand how a, if they get turned down for a loan to banks, the fact that doesn't always have to be the definitive no, there could be somewhere else that can get some of the different, you know, different loans. Um, when someone wants to transact digitally and it might be a millennial who only wants to do you know, through a smartphone, how do they, you know, how do they make sure that they can understand what that smartphone can do for them? When your friend said, when you're taking, it's not just your holiday money, it's global payments. You look at the evolution coming to the payment industry. It's just incredible. And then when we look at RegTech, which still comes out of that wider umbrella of FinTech, you know, all of our evolution in financial services is really underpinned by RegTech. Um, so we've got regulators looking at RegTech in terms of machine-readable handbooks, but also we're looking at it in terms of how do we verify who you are online. Um, and that's really the power of the sector, is it's, it's the subsectors within it are just incredible. And what a lot of people are talking about is embedded finance. So every part of it, whether it's your whether it's what you're doing in your healthcare, you, know, you look at, you know, you're being encouraged to be healthy and that might bring your insurance premiums down. That still is innovation in financial services. So, 
we just need to make sure that we continue to push the boundaries of that and, and making sure people understand. And we don't have a race for digital evolution if that's going to leave people behind. So I think that's the most important piece is if the, the different stages are there in whatever way you need them. Yeah, I really like that about, you know, slowing down and making sure it's the right thing to do at the right time. Um, you, you just launched your Women in Fintech Power List uh, last week, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was fantastic. And, uh, you know, we're getting a lot of publicity. We're seeing a lot of publicity around that at the moment. Um, but we're still seeing very low levels of, of senior women within the fintech space. Uh, it's probably a very obvious question to ask you, but being a, a senior woman within the fintech space, what more can businesses be doing to attract that senior talent? What we're not seeing enough of is fintech female founders. Um, we've still got a long, long way to go there, and we've still got a long way to go on getting them funded when there are female fintech founders as well. Um, so actually, when you look at it on the face of it, do we see too many male founders, too many male investment teams that don't necessarily show, you know, shine the spotlight on, on those role models? What we actually do when you look at it, and, and maybe it's because I come up against amazing women in fintech every single day of the week, um, and, we, and this is why we, we have the power list, is to shine that spotlight, perhaps on not the most obvious people, is actually to show people who actually are powering the list as well. Um, and we should, you, while we want to have those female founders and we want to have the role models there, we also need to do a better job of showing what people are doing within their own firm. And that's what's incredible. And the power list really shows that. So that might be the software engineer. It might be the CMO, it might be the COO, it might be the one person running investor relations. We are actually seeing a real shift where fintech is trying to show what it needs to look like to to be able to service the consumers and the customers that they represent. Um, and I think that's really important. Without diverse teams, you will never be able to reflect your consumers. Um, so there's still so much work to be done. We've got to do a better job of continuing to put people on the profile. That's why we have the power list. But it doesn't just stop at the power list, it's the programs through the whole year that connect, um, connect you know, unofficial mentors together, connect up the ecosystem, show people maybe you know, CMOs together and how they and how they can transact across that and how they can learn from others. And I think that's where fintech is really good. It's even if you've got competitive companies, you often see them coming together to learn from shared experiences. And you know, that's gonna help all diversity as well. So there's still more work to be done at entry level, um, like financial services is the same, but it's also giving people the, the nurturing support um, and the profile that perhaps they need to go the whole way through. And hopefully what we'll see is some great founders coming out, maybe of university, coming out of banking, doesn't matter, to really challenge our norms. But we're, start, we're starting to get there. We're starting to see um, some great founders and CEOs out there who obviously are you know of all diversity it's not just gender diversity it's all diversity but we've got to go over and above we need to be done um and palace is a start on that but it's it's not the only thing we do as you all know it's the whole program every single week where we work out what what um what diversity we're going to have on a panel how we're going to have a round table and make sure it's diverse all the way through to what innovate finance does as the industry body and you know the women we have working with us as well yeah, and you're right. It's about shining that spotlight on on you know people that are doing so well in that space and, and the up and coming stars, I suppose as well. Um, finally, Charlotte, I'd like to ask you your prediction. So obviously we've we've seen a, a shift, and as you said, a, a, a bigger need uh, and take up of certainly fintech uh, solutions because of the pandemic. What are your predictions for the next maybe year to two years? Um, 
we're going to see a complete acceleration of digital transformation. Um, and we're going to see more of an asset manager and asset management and insurance. Um, definitely the next sectors to get much more digital. Um, and that, that's, that's, I'm saying that as well. Um, banking is doing a good job. It's, it's, it's evolving really fast and it's, it's looking at what its consumers have needed. Um, and the small businesses they service over the last 12 months. And it's driving that forward. Um, and that's been a challenge coming through to economic recovery because people have a lot of debt um, and we have to help them through that process. Um, but I am I am excited for just where the UK can lead in some of this around the world, how we can make it easier, how we can look at a small business and every part of its journey um, and work out how we can help them, how we shine more spotlight and how they can save more money, how we can make their, their financial services in, um journey you know much easier how people interface with fs is going to completely change and when you see some of these young people coming into the world of work um maybe trying to rent their first place maybe trying to buy their first place who knows if they're lucky um you know how do we help them with that and that you know what do we need to do to help them with their credit records what do we need to do with the help with their banking needs how do we make that you know much more easier um i think the other piece is is the whole piece around esg and green finance and fintech has a huge role to play here um again when you look at younger people well of all guises but really the, the movement we've seen coming through um people care where their money's being saved now they care what it's been spent on they care you know, is this someone who has the right ethos and values who they bank with but also where they spend their money as well and you're going to see a lot more transparency um being required from them and fintech therefore can offer that and we're starting to see those those deals being done maybe between a bank and a fintech, how do we show our customers of where their money's going to and what are we doing to that? Um, so that might be something from an eco-friendly card all the way up to big savings. Maybe you just inherited money and, and where are you going to start putting your money in the future? And that again, that comes from the, the customer of the future is going to change the way we interface with financial services and banks, asset managers, insurers are going to need to respond to that. And I think they will turn to the fintech sector to be able to show that they can respond to that. They're going to innovate themselves, but they're going to look to partner as well. And that's some really exciting um, points we're going to see. So, yeah, future future's very rosy, I think, for the sector. And, and I think, you know, while the last 12 months has been torrid um, for, for everyone across the country, everyone's been affected in different ways. Um, this is a sector and and responding and evolving and innovating um, and I think that's really important Absolutely well Charlotte it's been lovely speaking to you today and thank you very much for taking the time to join me on LockPod uh, and uh, yeah hopefully speak to you again soon Great thank you so much Great thanks for having me on